don't want to get in the habit of just being reactionary to events, but it has been another week, hasn't it? I mean, certainly the, the events of the previous week, things recorded on video and then the news of the shootings in Dallas. And, and then this week we've got in, in France on Bastille Day through the crowd. And, and then the last part of the week, a coup attempt in Turkey. And here's what I hear a lot of people wondering. Maybe you've wondered the same thing. Some of you have said it to me. It's probably a good thing to wonder. I, is, is this it? Are, are we in the last days? Could it be? Well, I thought I'd talk about that today, just for fun. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, I am no expert. I don't pretend to be. The literature that talks about the last days, the nature of it biblically is such that it's written in a way that is symbolic and mystical. Uh, apocalyptic literature is the, the kind of things that you see. We mentioned Ezekiel last week. You talked about the book of Revelation in the New Testament. It, it's a kind of literature that is meant to obscure some, in some ways more than enlighten. And so we have to wade through those things in a way that helps us get there. Now, the good thing, having said that, I make that caveat. I'm going to deal with some things not from those kind of books today. Uh, because when we think about, are we living in the last days, is, is the end near? Is Jesus going to return at any point in time? It's a question that has been asked from the days of Jesus. In fact, his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 ask him in verse 3. I think most of these verses are going to show up on the screen, so you don't have to necessarily follow along. We're going to be in Second in Peter, by the way, for the bulk of what we're doing, so if you want to turn up there. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, is Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then the chapter unfolds with some of the things he said. Now, one of the things that is not specifically covered in Scripture is the when. And we all want to know, when is it going to happen? And people have written books telling us when it's going to happen. Was it 88 reasons Jesus is going to return in 1988? Followed by the smash bestseller, 89 reasons Jesus is going to return in 19, any guesses? 89, yes. Not too long ago, just was it 2014 was the blood moon year, or was it 15? I don't know. I, we read the book and looked through that. The blood moons were all the rage. In October, there was going to be this cataclysmic event, and there were some interesting things thrown out. Everybody wants to know, where are we on the kingdom calendar? Are we in the last days? Is this it? Reminds me of two churches that were across the street from each other, and they, like us, had a church sign. Aren't church signs fun? And of course, like most churches, they would put messages on the sign, and one day, both pastors were out at the church sign changing the message. The, the one pastor, we'll call him the, the Methodist pastor, put on his sign, the end is near. It's a good sign, right? Well, not to be outdone, maybe you would think across the street was the Episcopalian pastor, and he put on his sign, turn around before it's too late. And as they're out there putting these messages on the sign and conversing, a, a car comes by, and it is full of, let's just say, skeptics. Is that a fair 
word, and they began to mock the pastors. Oh, you Jesus freaks, you fanatics, this is nonsense. And they screeched off and sped down the highway, and just a few seconds later, they hear the squealing of brakes, a brakes and a big crash and a splash. And the Episcopalian pastor turned to the Methodist pastor and said, you think we should just put on the sign, Caution, Bridge Out? Took some of you a minute. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some things that we want to know. Is it the kind, did you know, uh, just some basic ideas. Uh, some people have done studies on the, on the Bible. There's an estimate that almost one out of every 30 verses in the Bible talks about the end of the age or the second coming in some way. That's, that's quite a number of things. Three, is it 300? 300 references to the second coming of Christ, the end of the age, in the New Testament alone. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament at some point talk about, address, reference the end of all things, the end of the age, the second coming of Christ. And of course, I've already mentioned that final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, talks about here is kind of how it's going to unfold in ways that I don't quite understand. Now, now, if I'm answering the question simply, do I think we're in the last days? Because really, you don't want to listen to 45 minutes and then get the answer, right? Just tell us now. You are the kind of people that read the last page of the book first, so I don't want you to leave you hanging. Here's my opinion, okay? Did you hear me say that? This is my opinion. Don't go post it on Facebook. My pastor said Jesus is coming next Thursday. Get ready. That's not what I'm saying. Or my pastor says it's going to be eons away i'm not saying that either it's my opinion i think we could very well be living in the last days a couple of reasons Um, one of the things that scripture says is a sign of the last days is the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come that's one of the things um, that's said and we live in a day and age when that's actually possible the word for nation is actually the word that sort of means people groups. And one of the things that as Southern Baptist, our International Mission Board has done is focused for the last X number of years on identifying people groups. Now, we have 190 or so nations of the world. There are over 12,000 different people groups in the world. And one of the things the IMB did years ago, that's why we collect our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, so that, that these missionaries that go around the world can share the gospel. They identify the people groups that have not been reached, have not had a gospel witness, and they strategically try to find ways to go in there to create the Bible in some manner that they can read and and listen to, whether it's through storing or whether it's through learning a language and printing it. There are lots of organizations that do that. But but it it seems like in this day and time, because of the reach of technology, because of things that happen, it used to be if you were going to take a book into some place, you know, it was it was heavy. It, it required a lot of, of just weight. It wasn't easy to transport. Now we learned when we went to Cuba just a few uh, well a few weeks ago. Now one of the things we took to Cuba were uh, Kindles because on a, the the seminary in Cuba you can't mail in a whole volume worth of theological books that the seminary students can study. But on a Kindle you can get a whole library and a a few bytes on on a, on a chip in that thing, and they can read this 
full theological library, obviously in Spanish, that's their language, in a way that, that wouldn't be possible if we had to buy the books and ship them and deal with all the things that are happening there. So with technology, we're able to do that all around the world, take these things there in, in ways that are easily portable and, and contain such a wealth of information. The technology allows us to do that. Another thing that, that comes to mind is, is uh, there's this, this section in the book of Revelation where it talks about these, these witnesses some people think Moses and Elijah kind of preaching the gospel, and, and it sort of indicates that, that they're going to be killed, and the, the whole world is going to see that happen. Well, you know, 50, 100 years ago, the whole world couldn't see that happen. Today, boy, can the whole world see something happen. And I'm not talking because of even news media, but we've seen that in the last few weeks, that a very specific incident somewhere can be recorded by not a professional person but someone with a cell phone and broadcast live in a way that gets the attention of the entire world maybe those couple of things there are other things there are a lot and we'll, we'll talk about some things today but but maybe those are some things that would push me toward thinking yes we could be very close it could be any minute that Christ will return, and this is, in fact, the end of the age. But, but I told you we're going to spend most of our time today in the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, actually. And, and Peter is one of those closest to Jesus, one of the disciples, one of the leaders of the early church. And we have some record of, of some things he said, and he talks to us about the last days, about how things are going to kind of unfold. The day of the Lord, another phrase used to talk about the end of time and and the like. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 3. We're just going to work through about verse 10 for now, and then we'll go somewhere else, and we'll come back to verse 11. Is that okay? I asked, like, if you said no, I'd change my plan, because <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I guess it's just a matter of, are you going to go with me or not? So anyway, I'll just start. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires okay now now what we're going to see in these next verses are are sort of signs of the end of the age we're not going to get a clock we're not going to get like this particular time in fact we'll see as we go along there's a verse in matthew chapter 24 uh, verse 36 where jesus says no one knows the day or the hour not the angels not even the sun only God knows, so no one's going to know. So one of the things I do when they start talking about, you know, he's going to come here and there, I just kind of cross that off. Not going to happen then. So I figure if we'd all just quit predicting, he'll come back sooner. That's my theory. Quit naming days because he's got to scratch them off, nonetheless. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just kind of one of my weird things. But we see that in, in, in this passage, we'll see these signs, and one of them is the, the advent or the maybe the proliferation of scoffers scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires is it fair to say that might be going on it it, it is probably fair to say in our world there are people that look at the things of god look at the things of christ look at the things of 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 our faith and scoffing is a good word just sort of want nothing to do with it but but interestingly enough i think in america there's actually a polarization of these things you have the increase of those who sort of look with disdain upon faith but you also have people that are trying even more diligently to live out their faith in light of the days we're living in it's sort of this greater divide we talked about that a while back when the surveys uh, came out and 
and statistically, people that filled out religious preferences, a greater percentage these days is saying none, rather than, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they'd, they'd check something about maybe their parents' background or the church they grew up in. Nowadays, the generation is rising up. They're okay with saying, I don't have any religious affiliation. I'm not in any way interested in religion or Christianity or whatever it is, just none. Don't call me any of that. And we see that polarization. Everybody said, oh, no, the, the America, it's going downhill. And then others said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What we're finding is among certain groups in Christianity a, a greater commitment to their faith. And it's not necessarily there's less people. It's just people that weren't so serious about faith are finally sort of admitting it and saying, okay, I'm not going to claim because my parents or my grandparents went to such and so church that I'm a Christian. No, I'm just going to be honest. My life, as I look at it, is, is sort of a, a nun kind of life. In fact, statistically, they look at generations. And if we go back to uh, the, the builder generation, as they're called, those are kind of like the greatest generation, as the book was called, born from 1927 to about 1945. Of that generation, about two-thirds of those are living kind of a biblical worldview out. About two-thirds. That's what we would expect. The next generation after... The builders was the baby boomers, I believe. That's from 46 to 64. Of that generation, about 35% are living a biblical worldview. You see the direction we're moving here? Then there's my generation. We're the busters. Do we have any builders here? We have some builders here, right? Do I need to give? See, if, if I give the dates again, you've got to admit when you was born, and you don't want to do that. Do we have any boomers here? Okay, boomers are not shy about it, because there's still enough, you can still be pretty on busters, beside, am I, uh, okay, some of us busters, which I, I don't like that thing. And then the, the latest generation, the millennials, you've heard of them, they're kind of all over the place uh, in the news, only about 4% of millennials are considered Bible, biblical worldview, living out of life like we would say. 65% builders, about 4% see where things are going and, and now part of the thing let, let me kind of say this um, one of the things I, I hope we can we can really look at as a church and one of the things we have looked at in the last year year and a half or so is how can we invest in that millennial generation what can we do to try to make an impact on that generation because if the the builders are sort of the retired generation. They, they did their, their building, and they, they, they were that greatest generation. And the, the boomers are, are maybe the ones that are more kind of the impact. Boomers to busters are sort of the ones rising in power. What does America look like with 35% Bible-based in leadership compared to what it will look like if a generation of 4% biblical worldview rises up into leadership? You know, looks different. What does it look like from 65 to 35? What's it going to look like from 35 to 4? See, we, when it talks about scoffers, that's kind of a negative word, but I think we can look into our world, into even our country, and see that there is a rise of people that look at religion, look at Christianity specifically, and don't want anything to do with it. Avoid it. Back off from it. But at the same time, don't think that's the only story, because there are places in the world where, where the gospel is penetrating and people are coming to faith in droves. I don't know if this is accurate. I read this, and I didn't like take a lot of time to verify it. 
the statistic I read was about 35,000 people a day in China are becoming believers. A day. That's remarkable, isn't it? So we look at maybe some of the negative trends that I just outlined. and say, oh, it's so bad. No, that's because we're just looking here. Around the world, the gospel is still very much effective. And it's still very effective in America. I don't mean to any way downplay that. There are places in America where people are turning to faith. And, and that polarization is such that more and more people, even in our country, when they turn to faith, are understanding because we as believers are trying to live out an increasingly biblical faith that it's a, it, it draws people in that would hopefully live out that same kind of biblical faith rather than, than the sort of whatever kind of mismatch of things. And, and so, yes, scoffers might be coming. And yes, as we look at things, uh, people are, are sort of forgetting about or ignoring God or wanting nothing to do with God on the one hand. But that's just one thing that's at mind here. Verse 4, they will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So the idea there is, you know, we, we, we've been hearing about this for how long? When did Jesus show up? A couple thousand years ago. His disciples ask, hey, hey, when's, when's it happening? Is, it, is the time now? And he's like, I don't know, but here's how you can know. Peter, even in his day, Peter's writing this. We're talking 50 years after Jesus is crucified and resurrection, and already there's this sense of, oh, come on, is he ever coming back? Paul talks about people kind of giving up life and sitting on their rooftops and waiting the return of Christ. Even in that generation, there was a sense that he's coming back. And, and, and Peter's writing here and saying, we'll see that. As, and that's then, 2,000 years later, how much more people are like, you know, that's never going to happen. Because in every generation, there's been this sense that he's coming back. Verse 5, he goes on and says, But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's talking about creation and the flood. That they forget that God from the beginning set in motion something. And he intervened in creation in that period of time we call the flood. And interestingly enough, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the, day, in the last days. So, you know, Interesting. But he also made a promise, right? With Noah, he put the rainbow in the sky. What was the promise of the rainbow? Never destroy the world again by water. So Peter has to tell us it's going to be different this time. He says in verse 7, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So the first time it was water, the second time... It's going to be fire. And he goes on in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. What in the world? Now, that's a tough one, right? Day is like a thousand years, a thousand years. That's, a, that's an economy. I wish it worked like a penny was like a thousand dollars, which means a dollar would be a hundred thousand dollars. So I could say, God, can I have a dollar? And he'd say, in a second. Old bad joke, I know, nonetheless. Day is like a thousand years. There's actually, um, Jewish scholars look at this idea of the, the, the world, the ages of the world, and they, they 
enumerate it this way, that the length of the era of the existence of this world will be a week. And if a day is a thousand years, you do the math, a week is how many days? That's not a hard question. Seven days, right? So if a day is a thousand years, how many years is a week? Seven thousand years. And so according to the Jewish calendar, there were 4,000 years between Adam and Christ. How long has it been since Christ? So you're like, that's 6,000 years, preacher. We got plenty of time. So you can just go on to something else. Except in that same scholarly way of looking at it. By the way, I'm not endorsing this. I'm saying this is just one way people look at it. The seventh thousand years is called the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ, which happens after the end. So where does that put us? Uh-oh, if they're right, buckle your seatbelt. Fixing to get interesting in here. Well, that's just one way of looking at it. A thousand years is like a day, and a day like a thousand years. Why, why would, would Peter say that? So he could go on in the next verse and tell us this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Those would say, look, it's been all this time and he's not back. This is ridiculous. Peter says, no, you don't understand. God's economy, God's calendar isn't the same as yours. God's not somehow bound by time. Who's wearing a watch today? Who's wearing a watch that connects to their phone today? Who doesn't wear a watch because they have a phone today? Who doesn't care what time it is as long as we get out by 10? (laughs) You are out of luck. everything's about time, right? What time do you have to be to work? You don't have to tell me, but you know what that is. So if I'm going to be to work at this time, I have to get up at this time because it takes me this long to get from here to work. What time do I get off work? That's an important question. And depending on where you work, it can take a lot of time to get from work back home. And then you don't have much time when you get back home at night to spend with your family and do the things you want to do before you have to go to sleep because everybody needs a bedtime. That's what my mom told me. Everybody needs a bedtime because the next day you got to get it. Got to get that eight hours. Does anybody really get eight hours? Okay. Some of you, you're better than me. Eight hours so you can hit the next day running, right? Time, it, 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 it just drives us. We are constrained by this reality of time, and we can't imagine what life would be like without time. And I think part of this verse about a thousand years today is, is just to remind us God's not limited or in any way constrained by the thing that drives our whole existence. He's outside of that. Time doesn't count the same way to him. Um, but he's not slow. So as you're looking at time and everything matters about what time it is and if you're on time or late, God's not slow. He's not late. No, instead he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I am glad God is patient. The reason I, years ago, had the opportunity to pray to receive Christ as my Savior when my mom and my dad and my uncle and my pastor sat down with me and told me what it meant to be a Christian and walked me through Scripture and the plan of salvation, however you want to term it. The reason I had that opportunity is because God has been patient with humanity. The reason you've had that opportunity is the same reason. The reason your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids or whatever generation maybe hasn't even been born yet, the reason any of those might have a chance to receive Christ and be spared the awfulness that the Bible talks about that's the end, the the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord is because God is patient with us. 
Why is he patient? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's desire is to give people that time because we are so bound by time that maybe they would turn and maybe they would turn to him. But he goes on in the next verse and says, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it laid bare. Why does God have to be patient? Because that's what awaits those who are not one of his children who haven't received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not a pretty picture. And while we look around at the world and say it's, it's horrible and there's all this bad stuff, God somehow hates it more than we do and yet patiently waits that, that even another might come to him in faith. He says these are, these are the signs. Now again, we look at these things and we say, well, that could be tomorrow. We could check off a lot of these ideas, and, and that may be true. But here's what I want to say to you. As much as there's speculation about is it the last days, are these the last days, here's what I know. These are your last days. Because your life, what does the Bible call your life? It's but a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. We have no promises. I'm looking out over a crowd that if I had to guesstimate your age, you'd all get mad at me. So I won't. But I know a lot of you, and I know about how old you are, and I know how old I am, and I'm pretty sure there are fewer days left for me than I've lived up to this point. So I am in my last days, whether the earth and creation is or not. And you are most likely in your last days. Some of we have some young ones here. you got lots of potential, but even that potential is not a promise. We don't know what might happen. So even if, let's say, it's another 10,000 years before Jesus returns again, you and I only have a handful of days left. And so I think maybe the way we should look is, okay, last days for creation or not, how can I use the days I have in the best way possible? That might be an important consideration. And I want to back up to 1 Peter do this first peter chapter 4 verse 7 says this the end of all things is near that was 2000 years ago peter said that and it is near maybe not from your and i perspective because our our 70 years or so 78 what's the average life expectancy i think it's pushing toward 80 now um in 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 our in our world the average life expectancy we think wow that's a long time but in the scheme of Thousands of years of history, nothing. I did that a while ago, borrowed it, I think Francis Chan did it too, where I took the rope and put tape on the end, do you remember that? And ran around and said, this is your life, and this is all of time, that's all you are. We want to use that little bit of who we are and our life here for the greatest possible good. And Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore... And then he gives us some instructions about how we can live our lives in light of the fact that the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. You want to know Peter's instruction to you. And this, whether it's the last days in general, which it very well could be, or whether it's just your last days, whatever time you have left in your life, live your life and be clear-minded and self-controlled. That's the first thing I think Scripture would tell you. 
And how do you get clear-minded? How do you have clear thinking and self-control? I think it's sort of a bit of a circle. So that you can pray. But I've found in my life, the more I pray, the more clear-minded I am. Because here's what happens. We live in a world that's got a lot of stuff going on. You have televisions. You have internet access on a phone or a tablet. We have radios. Everywhere we go, we, there's so much going on. We, we get up in the morning. We're, we're bound by that time. We've got, anybody got bills? Am I talking to people with bills today? Anybody here have a bill? Even if it's your rent, your mortgage, your electric bill, that wonderful water slash sewer bill. Oh, a lot of hands going up in the back. Yeah, I got all those, preacher. Yes, most of us have those bills. And, and we get up and we got to focus on life so we can pay the bills and make ends meet and all those sorts of things. And, and it's easy in this world to get so focused on the things of this world that I think we don't think clear. Why do I say that? Because here's my view. I think here's the biblical view. The reality that you and I live in is not the greater reality. There is a spiritual realm that is the greater reality that we don't see. You know, I see my house. I see my car. I see my church. I see my community. I see my grocery store. I see my water bill or my electric bill. I see this. I see that. I see, the, I see that stuff. I see my my stuff but there's a greater reality in fact here's one reason i i think that is because what we see through the old testament is god tells the people of israel i want you to build these structures there's a tabernacle in the wilderness that travels that ultimately becomes the temple and that was the centerpiece of their worship and a whole nation a whole people of faith focused everything on the tangible the physical presence of this building and these altars and all that went into them. And what we find is they weren't the reality. God's intention was not they be the focus. Rather, God had an unseen tabernacle in the heavenlies so that while they did their sacrificial stuff and they followed the law to the letter and, and, and were so careful about everything, Jesus comes onto the picture and doesn't make a sacrifice of himself in the physical earthly temple no scripture says he went to the temple not made by hands the earthly one's just a picture of a symbol a hint of and he went there not by the blood of bulls and goats and all the stuff that they were used to but by his own blood on that eternal altar of the heavenlies made the sacrifice once for all you don't have to do it every day or every year on the day of atonement or all the other we've been looking at leviticus on wednesday night all the other sacrifices i mean golly pete you gotta have a stinking farm a week just to sacrifice the stuff and most farms do stink so i think that's an accurate description have you never been to a farm I mean, all of this, stuff, and there's, there's this reality, See, and it's easy as Christians to get focused on the temporal world, but that's not the greater reality. Now, be, there's a saying, and I, I, I want to be careful and say, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? I'm not saying that either. I think when we focus on this greater reality, what prayer does, we are seated in the heavenlies, it says. In Ephesians somehow. I don't know how that works. But it, in prayer we get God's perspective on this earth and our life. 
and it helps us be clear-minded and it helps us be self-controlled because there's look we live in a world that's always telling us to lose control in some way shape or form you know you're driving a car and it's a 2016 but guess what there's a 2017 and we changed it it's a little different and it's better and you need it not that and like preacher i'm driving a 1984 car well uh, uh, beside the point but that's our world every year a new model of your cell phone comes out right and they put an S at the end, and everybody wants it. I got to get this one away and get that one, because it's an S. S for sucker? No, I'm, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, says the guy holding a 6S. But anyway, um, nonetheless, we are told in this world, if we focus on this world, we're told day in and day out, lose control. And when we focus by prayer on the he- and we're seated in the heavenlies, what, however that works, we see things from God's perspective, and it's easier to maintain control, self-control in this world. It's easier to think clearly in this world. The end of all things is near. Your, your life is but a vapor. So, so think clearly. And, and notice it goes on and, and says... In, in the next verse of, of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 tell us this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then it goes on and talks about hospitality in the next verse. It tells us, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So therefore, this is the end of all things. Think clearly. And, and here's how I would sum those two verses up. And value relationships above all things. People are what matter. You know why? Because of all the things in this room, only people make it to heaven. These chairs won't make it. These hymnals, your purses, the word of God lasts forever, so I don't know if it'll be bound in a black NIV thing like that, but it'll be there. Your prayers last forever, by the way. So what is this, what's Peter telling? He says, look, as you're looking at your life, make sure people are more important. Because it is easy to make things more important, the pursuit of stuff, because our life is so much revolving around that. The econ- it's the economy, stupid, as the things go politically. And we, we sometimes can so focus on the economic realities that we forget the greater of people are more important. People make it to heaven who place their faith in Jesus Christ. So our focus should be relational. One of the ways we can think clearly and be self-controlled is make sure our focus is on relationships. And notice he goes on and tells us in the next couple of verses. Uh, where are we? Verse 11 or 12? I don't remember where. Verse 10, sorry. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various form. Here's the deal. God has grace. He wants to get it out there. And you are the vessel. You are the vehicle through which God's grace in its various forms can be administered. God has created you and gifted you uniquely. And he's gifted you not just so you can earn a living. Some of the gifts you have help you earn a living. They're they're the things that you use, the passions that you're able to day in and day out use in the workplace to create an income, to provide for your family, and hopefully do the things that are required. 
but therefore more than that. Your gifts used properly, faithfully administer God's grace. And he goes on in the next verse and tells us about some of those gifts. He says, uh, if your gift is speaking, I think. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Could you imagine how that would transform your conversation? If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Whenever you get an amen in Scripture, that's a good place to stop, right? Amen. Period. We should think clearly. We should value relationships. And we should, I don't know, how could you put it? Get to work, use our gifts. See, church is great. I like church. I'm supposed to say that. We went last night, we were up at a big church. I guess it's big. It's still pretty big. It's First Baptist Fort Lauderdale. Y'all have been there, right? They do their, their uh, pageant, um, Christmas pageant. Yeah, the Fort Lauderdale Christmas pageant. Big deal. If you've never seen it, it's really, really good. Um, and, and so we're in there. It's a massive building. I mean, I think their choir loft is about the size of that. You know, it's also the stage for their pageant. It's massive. And I, and, and, and there are huge churches all over. I mean, Fort Lauderdale, there's another it's, it's a potential church. It's even bigger than First Fort Lauderdale, I believe. You could go all over and see. They're fascinating to go in. As, as a preacher type, to walk into a church, I'm like, I can't even imagine. I, here, here, Denise and I were talking. They're actually looking for a pastor. And anyway, we're joking. Oh, you should put your resume on. No, no, thank you. But then I said, oh, you know what would be cool about that? If I went to that church, I would never have to mow the grass because they don't have any. <laughs> it's just all concrete right there and down. I'm like, it's awesome. By the way, the grass needs to be mowed in vacation Bible schools next week. How was that for a segue? So if you'd like to help us, we could use some help. Okay. Back to your regularly scheduled sermons. Um, you know, churches, there are these, and, and we put, and, and there are people, there are churches with 20,000 plus people multi-site church it's fascinating to study how churches are, are growing these massive churches but here's the thing you weren't created just to go to church i'm glad you're here you should keep coming should i say that again so we get the message no but you weren't created just to come to church god created you and gifted you so that you could somehow through your gifts administer his grace in ways that i can't because you're different and your gifts are different. And we together administer grace in its various forms. And if all the grace that people ever get is from one person, they don't see the full picture of the goodness and the graciousness of God. Where sin abounds, the Bible says, grace superabounds or abounds all the more. God gives more grace. You think grace is important in the economy of God? It's absolutely important. And we as his people should be about using our gifts to administer that grace. to serve. And there are lots of places to serve. These are just a couple of ways that it says to serve. Amazing what, what you can do. So, so in light of, if this is the last days, whether the last days are everything or certainly just your last days, which we've kind of said is sort of the case for all of us, take these things to heart because they're important. Peter, back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Kind of wrap up here. Yeah, I probably should do that. Peter says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a good question. He just talked about everything's going to be destroyed by fire. And we've looked at that in 1 Peter as well. He says this, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God, 
and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as Paul wrote. And then he skips down to verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Are we living in the last days? Maybe. Pushed, I would say yes. I think the time is short. But more importantly than getting it right on the kingdom calendar, I think what Peter's saying here is get it right in your life. Because these are your last days. You only have a few of them. Live different. Isn't that what all those words mean? Live holy. That's another word of saying just be different. Holy means other. God is holy because he's different than anything there ever was and ever will be. We can't describe this infinite God. He's, He's holy. He's other. Yes, holy as in deserving of worship and all that, but part of the root of the word just means different. And Peter says be holy, be different. We just looked in Leviticus. Be holy as I am holy. God says, live a life spotless, blameless. Live a life in light of the reality. If you believe, did you know about two-thirds of the people in our country, so this is a few-year-old survey, about two-thirds, it may be smaller now, it's probably four or five years ago, said, yes, I believe in a second coming of Jesus. That's pretty good, isn't it? Two-thirds. I would guess in a room like this, maybe the percentage would be a little higher than two-thirds. That's a good statistic. You know what a sad statistic is? I want to get this right. A little less than 8% when answering the survey questions could be considered living for him. Oh, I believe he's coming back. But it doesn't really matter when you look at how I live. You know, and there were questions about moral lifestyle and, and do you share your faith? Do you, do you attend worship regularly? Do you serve? Do you give toward ministries? And didn't even say to your church, it was ministries in general. From about two-thirds to about 8%. See, it's possible to say, oh, yeah, I I believe that. In fact, I've said before, I've done a lot of funerals, and I have yet to meet a person that didn't say some version of that the deceased was in a better place. You hear that everywhere. No matter how they lived their life, no matter what ideas they had or espoused or didn't espouse about God, everybody's always in a better place. We look forward to that. Peter says, that should inform how you live here. 
it's not just there because you know how we live here makes a difference to how many people get to go there I want to be the kind of person remember that song years ago thank you I remember it was sung at my dad's funeral was it Ray Bowles maybe sang it thank you for giving to the Lord and, and it's a picture of someone passing and going to heaven and when they get to heaven people just keep coming up to them and say, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but, but you taught me in Sunday school when I was only eight. Or, or you gave to this offering, and because you gave, somebody came, and, and it's just, it's a great song. You know, don't listen to it much, because like I said, it was at my dad's funeral. That's not a good song to listen to for that reason. You know, you probably have songs like that. Um, but but it's, a, it's a great picture that he painted in that song. Of we live our lives here in a way that when we get there, yes, our reward is the presence of Jesus. But how much greater is it to think I look around and see this great cloud of witnesses, some that, that I had a small part in influencing so that they're there too. This morning we're going to kind of wrap up and have our, our time of response, an invitation, if you will. And, and I just guess I'll make it two things real quick. Number one, let me say this. If you're here and you do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, if in the next 10 minutes Jesus were to return and you're sitting here and go, I don't know what would happen. I don't know if I would get to go to heaven. I don't know if he would come back for me or if I'd be left behind, to use that book title from a few years ago. Let me say Scripture gives us the answer to that question. That you can come to know, not just if you'll go to heaven, but you can come to know the very creator God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. You can know him. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the only true God, and your son whom you have sent. And today, if you have never reached the place in your life where you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus, that what he did on the cross by his death, acknowledging that was for your sin because you are a sinner, and that by his resurrection he secured for you the hope of eternity, I invite you in this time of invitation to turn to him in faith admitting you're a sinner and receiving in faith the gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how to do that, Pastor. Well, I usually stand up here not because you want to look at me, but because I'm waiting if one of you want to talk about that sort of thing. I'd be happy to talk with you. And we might have to stick around a few minutes after we're done in here. Yeah, that's true. It's not something you can just explain in two seconds. But I would be happy. That's why I'm up here. If you have something you want to talk about, particularly that, I'd love the opportunity to have a few minutes with you and show you in Scripture how you can know God through his son Jesus and then secondly if, if that's already you you already know Christ as savior you're a Christian you're saved you're born again there's all sorts of phrases we use I'll use these next few minutes as we're singing to ask God just to examine your heart God am I living in light of the few days I have left am I making the most of my life for the days are evil as it says elsewhere in scripture
if our musicians and singers want to come on up, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. And this is your chance to respond as they lead us in song. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great grace. I thank you that in that great grace, you have sent your son, Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and that, that he willingly laid down his life on the cross of Calvary. No one took it from him, but he laid it down for the sins of the world, for my sins. God, I thank you that in him, I have the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternity. And Lord, I pray as we come to this time of response and invitation, if there's someone here who needs to receive that gift, that today would be the day that they would repent and turn from their sin and turn in faith toward you as Savior and Lord. And God, however else you want to use these moments of invitation, we invite you to have your way and your will. May you be honored and glorified in these moments. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.